Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Um, I love movies. Uh, and my, one of my favorites, and I'm not promoting this movie, uh, one, of my, one of my favorites is Goodwill Hunting. You know this one? Okay. If you don't know this movie, uh, it is rated arts. It's got some rather coarse language in it, but the heart of the film is is pretty is pretty cool. It's about a kid who I don't know, 18, 19, maybe 20, genius. He's a math guy, but all he does is fight. All he does is is uh, tear stuff up. Um, he's brutal. He's just wants to drink and he wants to fight. Like that's all he wants to do, and he wants to be with his friends. That's it. He goes through this little spell to where he's, he's doing some fighting and he gets, he gets caught, he gets taken to court. Well, he's been to court tons of times. He defends himself in court over and over all the time and he always gets off. He goes in this time, finally the judge puts his foot down and he's just like, no, not happening again. You're doing community service. And so they take him and they put him in uh, MIT to mop the floors. So while he's mopping floors at the most prestigious uh, school in the United States, he finishes math problems that are left on the board that people are struggling to do. He just finishes them while he mops the floor. When one of the professors catches wind that this kid is the one who's doing it, who's played by Matt Damon, uh, they try to help him. They try to kind of get to him and, and kind of reach out to him. But Matt Damon is sarcastic. He plays the whole time. He's constantly pushing back. So therapist after therapist after therapist, they just keep just booting him out. So some of you know what I mean. Okay? They just keep booting him out, you know, burning through these therapists like, it, like there's nothing. Finally, they find a junior college professor of psychology, uh, played by Robin Williams, who will sit down with him and meet with him. The first meeting is just terrible, and Matt Damon crosses the line. He looks at Robin Williams. He tells him that he's a failure. He asks him if he's read these books. He asks him if it comes with, is there like a shrink kit? You know, it just humiliates Robin Williams over and over and over. Then he, then he crosses the line. He starts talking about a painting on the wall. And then Matt Damon turns and he says, oh, that's what it is. You married the wrong woman. And Robin Williams says, don't talk about my wife. And he goes, that's it, isn't it? You married the wrong woman. She ran out on you. And then it goes to this all new level. Robin Williams grabs him by the throat, pins him against the wall. I mean, threatening his life. Matt Damon says, time's up. And they end the session. The next session they have, they're sitting on a park bench. And Robin Williams looks at Matt Damon and he says, you said some stuff to me the other day when we were in my office that tore my world apart. Then I had this thought. And as soon as I had this thought, I drifted off to sleep and I haven't thought of you since then. He said, here's the thought. If I were to ask you about Michelangelo, you would probably tell me everything there is to know about his work, his sexual orientation. You could tell me everything about Michelangelo. But I bet you don't know what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. If I were to ask you about love, you would probably give me a long, lengthy list of some of your favorite women you don't know what it's like to wake up beside somebody who truly makes you happy. 
You don't know what it's like to go to the hospital for three solid months, day in, day out, and live there because your wife has cancer. You don't know how to do that because you don't love anybody. You don't love anybody like you love yourself. And to experience this kind of love, you have to love somebody more than you love yourself. Matt Damon doesn't say a word. And then Robin Williams looks at him and he says, you're just a kid. You're just a child. You're a scared little kid. And so what you think you know isn't real. Do you remember those days when, like, your parents would look at you and they would say things to you like, yeah, just wait till you get older. You don't know anything. Yeah, you think you know it all. Oh, sorry, Mr. Know-it-all. And you probably even remember looking back on life and being like, I was a lot smarter when I was 18. I knew a whole lot more stuff. Now that I'm 39, no, I don't know anything at all. And I know this because when my kids ask me questions, I'm like, oh, hey, Daddy, what's kinetic energy? Uh, uh. Hey, Siri, what's kinetic energy? Like, this is what it turns into. And so I know that I'm a, I was a lot smarter then. At least I thought I knew more. Because there's a thing that happens in life called experience, and there's just this, there's pragmatism. There's things in life that work, and then there's these brain ideas. You see this on universities, in universities all the time. People who talk through all of these complicated ideas on why this would fix the government, why um, this would fix religion, why this would fix war, why this would fix oil or the economy. But it never leaves that classroom. It's genius in a book. It's genius in a classroom. But it does not move forward outside of that classroom. It can't get lift. The Apostle Paul, in Colossians chapter 2, turns to the Colossians who he is writing to the, at the church of Colossae. In the very last line of chapter 2, he looks at him after berating all of these false teachers and all of their checklists of, of morality, all of their um, fasting that they were doing to try to honor God in some weird way, all their sacrifices that they were making, all these things that they kept doing. And Paul says, all of those things that you're doing are absolutely useless. Here's why. Because they don't work. All those ideas you have, they don't work. You can tell me all day long, well, this right here would fix everything. That's what's beautiful about Facebook. I don't know if you know this or not, but like the average age of people using Facebook is right around 22 to 20, you know, nine, like somewhere around, like that's the average age. And they know everything. Everything. They tell you everything about politics. Everything. And the, because they'll, they'll quote somebody else who's quoting somebody else who made up something else and they put it up there. And this is what it turns into. There are ideas. And then there are things that work. And what the Apostle Paul says to the Colossians is this. It doesn't work. Look at this passage. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. How's it working for you? That's the question that Paul's asking. Well, I've got a system. I would like to invite you to church. Mm, I've got a system. How's it working? I would like to invite you to a discipleship class. Nah, I got a thing that I'm doing. How's it working? Is it good? You feel the peace of God like just 
pouring out of your body, pouring out of your mouth. How's it going? How's it working for you? And the Apostle Paul is looking at them and he's saying, you've got all these great ideas, but let me, let me just ask you, is it working? There are these moments where we grab a hold of an idea or, or, or a process or, or, or maybe an invention, like something that's just kind of rolling around in our head, and we think this would really be good, especially when you're little. My daughter will come in, hey, look at this thing that I made. It's a straw, and it's got a twisty tie around it, okay? Then it's got an eraser stuffed in the end, and, the, and then it's got a paper clip through the top. Jake, you know what this is? Garbage. It's just garbage. No, that's not what it is. This is an invention. It's an invention. Does it work? Does it do something, or is it just something cute that I have to hold on to until you forget, then I can throw it away? What does it do? Does it help? Check this verse out. Colossians chapter 3. Paul has got a really great point that he's trying to get to. Chapter 3, verse 1. So when we could stand it no longer. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong passage. Let me turn back over. Uh, Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So this church in Coloss has been working on, a, on, a, on, a, on an idea. How do we stop sinning so much? We want to honor God, but how do we stop sinning so much? Not too much different than us, correct? Like, how do I get out of this hole that I'm in? How do I stop doing this thing that I keep doing that I wish I wouldn't do? Like, how do I stop this? Why am I even tempted in the ways that I'm tempted? How can that all stop? And so... In lieu of God's word, instead of this, they scoot it aside and they say, I think what we should do is this. If the body is causing all the problems, we should starve it out. I won't eat and I'll make my body do what I say. I'll starve it out. Okay, well, there is some good that can happen with fasting and praying. But to starve your body is ultimately completely against the whole idea of you growing and developing, correct? Like, because that's headed the wrong direction. There's these other things, these sacrifices. And Paul dive into them. Check this out. Um, verse 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will, will appear with him in glory. This is where Paul takes the resurrection of Jesus and he ties it to the daily life of the Christian. Now, if you're anything like me, which I only talk about me, I won't talk about you. But if you're anything like me, I can, I can hear about the resurrection of Jesus, but then I have a hard time seeing how this actually plays out in my own life. Like, I understand, like, Jesus died for my sins, but I didn't, like, know that was a thing and that somebody needed to die for it. And so now that it's done, do I just... At communion time, do you ever have this feeling of, like, like how thankful and sorry can I actually be over and over, like, every week? Like, maybe that's just me. But, like, I'm, like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry that my sins put you on a cross, but, but how does it play out? today what do I do now what Paul's saying is this your life is hidden with Christ at the moment of your conversion when you said I want to accept Jesus Christ into my life your life was snatched away and hidden <clears throat> Satan has no power to reach in and grab you and drag you to hell Jesus has taken that power away and he has hidden your life in him that's great news that is great news 
We are off limits. He cannot get to us. He cannot drag us. He may take our bodies. He may take our minds. But he cannot take our souls. We have offered them up to the Lord. They belong to him. We are hidden in him. But the problem is, is that I still have skin on my body. Right? The problem is, is that if he would have hidden my body, I would have been probably a better person. But he hid my soul. And so while my soul is hidden with Christ, my body is making up a whole lot of really bad ideas so that I can try to wrap my morality around a tree somewhere. With me? Like, I want to screw my own life up. I'm looking for ways to sin. I am here. Even though my soul is hidden in Christ, do we still sin? Yeah. Do we still struggle with temptation? Yes. And so Paul takes these two and he puts them together and he says, your soul is resurrected. Now I need you to put to death everything else. Because until it's put to death, it can't be resurrected. And so then he starts on his list. Verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now here's the list. Sexual immorality impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So Paul makes a list for us, and he begins by saying, here's what I want you to start buttoning off. You want a checklist? The Colossians are big on checklists. Give us a checklist. Give me a, a list of things I can work on. Paul says, you want one? Okay, here's a checklist. These are the things that need to be put on the firing squad, that, that need to be lined up and let the firing squad Knock every single one of them down. These are the things that need to hang in the gallows. Number one, sexual immorality. This is any thought process, anything, any thought process or action that does not align itself with God's word on the topic of sexuality. If it does not align itself with God's word on sexuality, Paul says it has to come to an end. Now, here's what's interesting about this list right here. This is a private list. Now, you would anticipate with all the other false teachers, they would step into your life and they'd be like, okay, so here's the thing that I see with you right now. You dress like a pagan, so I'm going to need you to put on a better robe, put on your nice shirt and tie when you come to church. I don't want to see no more tennis shoes, okay? No more tennis shoes at church. You need to fix that. Then you need to fix this thing, and you need to fix this thing. You would expect this outward list, but Paul doesn't. Paul gives you an inward list. Every single thing that's on this list here, you can commit inside your own mind and nobody else will know. Why in the world would Paul go there first? Because Jesus and Paul and us understand the problem with humanity is not the way you perceive me. It's what's going on behind my eyes that is the problem. It's the, it's the corruption of the human heart. That's the problem. And until that stuff is fixed, what the outside looks like doesn't matter. So he says sexual immorality, any thought process, action, or habit that is sexual in nature that does not align with scripture it has to stop the next thing he says ritual impurities now this is kind of cool anything that we do or believe that serves the purpose that, that, that serves the purpose of covering up an internal problem when you send a thank you card now I know sometimes we're very thankful but like, like graduation like you graduate from school and then like people gave you gifts and nice all and they came to your reception and all this deal and you 
And then you've got to send out these thank you cards. And so by the end of it, you're just like, thank you, thank you, thank you. You don't even care who, who it's to. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Why? Because you're supposed to. Right? When you get up in the morning to come to church, there's this idea that we've kind of been fed through the years that when you get up in the morning you, on Sundays and you're on your way to church, you should wear something nice. A lot of us were raised that way, right? You should wear something nice. Put on a suit, a tie, a sweater, no tennis shoes, no blue jeans, something decent. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. That's your Sunday best. Why? You're supposed to. Is it important? Well, I mean, cleanliness is next to godliness. I mean, that's in the Bible, right? No, it's not. It's not in the Bible. So why do we do it? Because you're supposed to. Is it nice? Is it honoring? Sure, but like, let's not get carried away and weird. You know what I mean? Communion. Do you have to take it every single week? Well, I sure don't think you have to. Have you ever got the flu and missed a week? Well, that happens. Some churches offer it at different times. There's this, to get locked into just these rituals of this is the way it's supposed to do. As if somehow there's something we can do to leverage God's love. Going to leverage God's love by, by saying, well, I did do this for you, Lord. I mean, I live better than that guy, right? And so he says ritual impurities. Next one, lust. The word lust speaks to our ability to be influenced, okay? Our ability to be pushed or strong emotions incited inside of us. Uh, evil desires is the next one. An, an eagerness or a passion for rotten, sinful, or injurious behavior. Okay, and the last one, greed. The act of seeing and using people for what you can get from them so you can gain more. Greed. So Paul lists out all of these things that can happen inside of us on a heart level that nobody else has to know about. The reason that Paul would go to those things first is so that he could say this, you and God get these things straight. Because listen, I could stand up here all day, every Sunday, I could stand up here every Sunday and I could preach and you could think to yourself, Jared, you probably wouldn't, but you could think to yourself, Jared's really doing well. Like he's really on target. The sermon really did something for me today, but you don't know what's happening in here. You don't know what's happening in here. If these things are corrupt, this is going to be useless at some point. So there's got to be a moment to where we say, I've got to deal with what's on a heart level. Let me tell you what I hate about small towns. You want me to, this isn't very nice of me. Here's what I hate about small towns. We pretend all the time, period. Good enough? We pretend all the time. Why? Because we grew up here. And my uncle lives here, and my grandpa lives here, and my mom lives here. And if I do something wrong and somebody finds out about it, then I, we just pretend to keep doing the right thing. That's where our habits come from. That's what I absolutely despise about small towns. You want to talk about a difficult thing? Trying to convince the people in a small town that if they become transparent with their life, they will grow as a Christian. In a small town? Heck no. I'm going to get transparent and lose my job. I am not even going to talk about the stuff that I'm struggling with because my boss is four rows back and he will fire me yesterday. That's a small town. You go to the city, 
Listen, you can be as you can be a part of any support group you want to, and with the weirdest things, you know, one-legged uh, recovering cheerleaders with tennis elbow, you know, like in, and like you can go to those and people are like that's wonderful. I'm glad you're getting some help. That you can do that. Here, what the heck? You're going to be in the newspaper. It's going to be a problem. That's the thing I hate about small towns, because we refuse. Let me tell you something. The quicker we get to the point to where we can stand up and say, this is who I am, and we can watch all of our fake friends and our fake family members fall off on the side, you will get free from the thing that holds you up. With me? I'll say it one more time just because I like hearing myself say this one more time. As soon as you get transparent and you decide that you don't want fake friends and fake family beside you anymore, and you talk about the brokenness in your life, you will grow in Christ and move forward. Promise you. As long as you worship the people to the sides of you and the people around you, and that's your God, that's where your knee will bow every single time. We won't move forward. We won't grow. We cannot develop. We cannot become any better than we are right now. That's why we decide, you know what? No, we're going to be transparent. We're going to be broken. We come from garbage places, and we've, broke some, we've, we've messed ourselves up. If we get honest about it, it changes. It changes. There's no more hiding greed, the act of seeing and using people for what uh, we can get from them so that we can gain more. Now, I want to go back down through this list one more time, but I want to show you what's on the other side of it. What happens if all of these things on this side are resurrected in Jesus Christ? What do they produce on the other side? Here it is, sexual, uh, sexual immorality. When sexuality is resurrected in Jesus Christ, here's what it becomes. I now choose to make God's ideas my ideas. Even if, I, even if I don't like them, I choose to make his ideas my ideas and a follow-up. Let's be honest. We could all disagree with God on sexuality. All of us could. On some level. And if we can't with our words, I bet you we have in our head. We all do. But as soon as I make his idea of sexuality my idea of sexuality, it's resurrected. And you know what happens there? completeness and wholeness if the statistics are true of sexual abuse then I think that that would clean that part of that part of the world up if we could get on board with what God wanted there how much pain is then caused and created due to sexual abuse if we fix that category only that category that one right there it would change the world just getting our ideas become the same as what God's ideas are what if our rituals were resurrected well I can tell you exactly what rituals resurrected when they're not resurrected and they're, they're dead it's us trying to leverage God rituals on the other side turn this into God-centered thinking I'm looking at I'm looking at this is not as duties that I perform for God but what my heart overflows with because of thankfulness for what he has done for me does that make sense like this whole idea that, well, I go to church because, you know, God wants me to go to church. Can we just, I'll just take it down just a little bit, okay? If, if you come to church here because you feel like God wants you to come to church here, and like a part of you is just like, I really don't want to be here, but God wants me to go to church, and so I just go for that reason, or my wife's dragging me, or my husband makes me come, or whatever it is, like, can I, let, let me just tell you, um, like, maybe don't. Like, don't. Because, like, it sucks for you, right? 
Because you show up and you're just like, I really hate being here. Well, I don't. If, if you caught me standing against a brick wall and I kept banging my head against it over and over and over, and you're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm hurting myself every single time I do this. Like, well, I'm not a professional, but if I were you, I'd quit. I would quit doing that. Like, if, it, if it's causing so much angst, just stop, stop doing it. But rituals resurrected turn into this. You know why I'm here? Because I can't believe that God let me on his team. That's why. I'm baffled that he, would, that he lets me be on his team. He shouldn't. There are other people to pick. And on the kickball field, you know, I'm striking out. And the Lord's like, you want to be on my team? Dude, heck yes, I'll be on your team. What do you want me to do? That part, that's going to be weird. But we'll do it. Yes. It's because of thankfulness. That's ritual resurrected. Next one. Lust resurrected. That was our ability to be influenced by other things. When it's resurrected, you know what it becomes? My drive or my desire for the Holy Spirit to lead my life to where now He influences me. He pushes me in directions that He wants me to go. He lays people on my heart. He puts compassion inside me. He gives me the love, and I get to love people from that capacity, not another one, but I can follow the Holy Spirit. Desires. What happens when desires or pathos is resurrected? It turns into love. It turns into, it's no longer evil desires about how I feel about somebody else and I want to harm them. Now it's the opposite. I want to find a way to honor somebody else. I have this friend, and I wish I could, and it would be so weird if I did this, but I wish I could bring him and like introduce you to him like one by one, like just in like a weird setting so that you could understand. He's the guy that when you meet him, suddenly you're a celebrity and you didn't know it. Like, dude, what's up? Really, where are you from? I'm from Texas. Texas, you football guy? Oh my gosh. And now suddenly, like you are the celebrity and he does it to every single person he comes in contact with. It's the craziest thing to watch. Because he knows how to do that to people. And people who have zero confidence walk away like they got a brand new haircut. Like, that's, I mean, automatically. People with, who've got jack going on for them, they bump into this guy and they walk away and they are fresh. Like, I must be somebody. Like, I'm doing this thing. It's amazing to me. Absolutely amazing to me. When our desires are resurrected, that's what we become. We step into other people's lives and they look at us and go, I didn't know I was important. And we are like, you are. Like, he wants you on his team. He told me so. That's the coolest thing. Last one, greed. So what happens when greed is resurrected? Greed, on the former list, Paul refers to as idolatry. So if it's idolatry on this list, when it's resurrected, what does it become? Worship. It becomes worship. It becomes my opportunity to look for a way to honor God by being kind to you. By finding the broken and lifting them up. That's my worship to God. That's how I honor Him with, you did this for me and put me on the kickball team and I'm doing this for other people. I'm lifting them up. Paul moves. From the, from the private sins. And he goes to the social sins. I know that we are a grace 
based religion. And we talk about how it's all about God's grace. But there's also this word in Philippians. And this is why it's important for us to take this list that Paul lays out for us and, and, and stand it up and say, I'm going to put these things to death in my life. This is why it's important. Philippians 2.12 Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There is some work involved on our end. And you should know this. Have you ever dealt with another human being? Y yeah. Have you ever tried to like get them to do something that, you, that they didn't want to do? Anybody have kids, you know? Anybody married? Like, the, like this is what happens. When you come in contact with another human being, like suddenly something happens to you. Social sense. Like that's what happens to you. Let me explain. First, let me give you the list, and then you'll be like, oh, that makes sense. Uh, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. Do you know why you commit these sins? Because of the person sitting next to you. That's why. Because that's what it is. If you know another human being, you are guilty of one of these sins. Anytime we come in contact with another person, these are the kind of things that are always there. I told you, uh, like last week, about my, sh my shopping experience, like in the, in the aisle, and I, I, like start wanting to send people to hell when they stop and all this kind of deal. Same thing with the intersection, when people, there's time for both of us to get through the yellow when they're not, you know, they're not. Come on, you know, get there. Let's do this thing. But no, 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 no. And so this is what happens. And so then Paul steps in and he says this. Here's the problem with these sins here. The problem with this next set of sins is that it discredits what happens on the cross. It discredits the message of the gospel. And it discredits the messenger of the gospel. So when we're committing these sins here, like suddenly we are discrediting the whole system. I'm a Christian. Blankety, blankety, blankety. Like, you know what I mean? That the whole system just falls apart because this is what happens to us. No, no, no. I love the Lord. Facebook. You mother. Right? This is what it turns into. And we get amped up and lose our minds. Discrediting the whole system. So these things have to be put to death. They cannot resurrect unless they're put to death. That's the deal with death and resurrection. There's got to be a death, then there's a resurrection. So let's take a look here. Anger. This is passion or a desire for punishment. Resurrected becomes God is love. Rage, outburst, breathing violently. Peace. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Malice, this disposition that looks to harm somebody. Jesus came to give life and give it abundantly. Slander, blasphemy, this idea that we find something that's bad and we call it good. You know what's bad? Here's what's bad. When people fall down on the ice, what's bad is that I laugh at it. Do you laugh at that? Like when you see it, you're like, ah, I wish that wasn't funny. <laughs> I wished it wasn't, but you made it funny. And now it's, it's, it's too bad that you fell down 
And I hate that. I hate that because it's a bad thing. You can really hurt yourself. But then there's a part that's just like, but they can't get up still. Like they're, they're trying and they, this idea that we look at something that's bad. And I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. It could be. But looking at it and saying, good for them. I'm glad that happened to them. They deserved every single bit of that. Next part. Filthy language. Foul speech. Jesus says this, from the, o- the overflow of the mouth, the heart, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is here is going to come right out our face. Lying. Falsify, misrepresent, mislead, and untruth. And Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. These things must be resurrected in our own life. Now, it's easy to take a look at a list like this and be like, well, I didn't not only... Like I, got, like, I checked all of them, like I do. Filthy language. Like, I love it when people get hurt. Like, we go down the list. Like, these things are hard to get a grasp on in our life. But I want you to notice this next phrase. In Colossians 3, look at verse 9, real quick. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, which is being renewed... Here's the good news for us. Because I'm sure, I'm sure you're similar to me. You can read a list like this. You can hear a sermon like this. And you can say, I'm pretty much my whole life. Like I'm bad at all of this. Like I'm bad at being a Christian. Like I'm, I'm really bad at this. Listen to this word. This word right here. I being renewed. Being renewed. This is so cool. This is written in the present tense being renewed, meaning it is happening now. I am being renewed now. You know what that means? It means I don't have to bat a thousand. It means I have to try hard and I have to keep my eye on the ball. That's what it means. It means, guess what? You're going to get into the batter's box at some point. You're going to swing and you're going to whiff. You're not going to do good. You're going to bust it up. You're going to botch it. But you are being renewed. Meaning that God has stepped into our life and is renewing us constantly. It's a picture word is what it is. And it's the idea that we climb to a plateau and we rest. And then we climb to a plateau and then we rest. And then we climb to a plateau and we rest. Listen, if you're one of those little eager beaver perfectionists and you've got to just get it done all the time and just keep it all buttoned up and looking nice and pretty, I bet you're tired, aren't you? I bet you are exhausted. I bet your relationships suck. That's what I bet. Because you're so busy making sure it's polished and it's broken. That's a very, very nice car in your yard. The chrome looks good. Everything does it run? No. No, it doesn't run. It's beautiful. It doesn't work. God's calling us to is this. There's grace in our relationship with Jesus. To where he's saying, listen. I know you've got skin on your body. One of my favorite passages, it's in Psalms. I can't remember the, I can't remember the, uh, the, the chapter. He knows, he knows me and remembers that I am but dust. I want you to put this in your mind for just a second. If this is the only thing you hear, put this in your mind. That there is this picture of God to where he is, he is here and he's watching us. And when we do something good, He's like, can you believe this dirt clod made it happen? 
Like, look at. And he's like looking around like I made him from dirt. Like, I'm, it's, that's the dirt one. I made him from dirt. Like, the thing that's down there doing all the good, I know I did it from dirt. And so then when it messes up, do you know what happens next? He looks around and he goes like this. It's dirt. What do you, what do you expect? I made it from dirt. It, the fact that it's doing this is incredible. And the idea that God loves me so much that he eyeballs me with this optimism of like, look at you doing that thing. And yet I will go home and beat myself up. So will you. When my thoughts get resurrected to where I start seeing me like God sees me, when you start seeing you like God sees you, that like, listen, you were made from dust and you're pulling this off, get out of here with that. That's powerful. You're important. That's why we're sons and daughters of Christ. All right? Let's pray. We'll go. Lord, we love you. We're very thankful for everything you've done for us. Lord, we ask that you will convince us of your love on a regular basis. Lord, we ask that we can see your view of us. We pray that you'll be with us today. We go our separate ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good day.